I'm going to be reading Revelation chapter 12. Our text particularly we're taking from verses 13 through 17 of this chapter. And uh, yet, of course, it is all vitally, contextually connected. As uh, the Apostle John on the Isle of uh, Patmos is given vision after vision, and uh, which is very important, and uh, these visions become cyclical. They begin essentially when Christ comes, they consummate when he comes again. So that you have these over and over again in the book of Revelation. So in uh, Revelation chapter 12, and there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Now, we're not going to be dealing particularly with these verses, but just brief comments till we get to verse 13. But the sun, it means the sun of righteousness has come. He who was promised before. The moon, as it were, reflected of old the sun. And, of course, you have the old covenant and the, the church in the old covenant, the regenerate church, uh, those who are truly in Christ. And they were there. These all died in faith. They looked ahead and believed the promises in Christ. They believed God. And then you have, of course, the new covenant and these of course, this is one church, one regenerate people of God uh, throughout the ages. <clears throat> so we have that here. And this mystical woman is the church. <clears throat> there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and her head, a crown, upon her head a crown of twelve stars, and she being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. It's amazing when you look at what happened under that old covenant time and that Old Testament when uh, so much persecution came against the people of God and particularly those who were in the line of Christ. That old adversary always attempting to stop that. And there appeared another wonder in heaven and behold a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and cast them, did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And of course, we don't have to go to the Gospels. We know what happened after the Lord Jesus was born and then the attempt always to destroy him by the adversary. And she brought forth a man-child. This is not speaking particularly of his virgin Mary. This is speaking of the Lord coming forth through the, 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 the promise, the, the church, the, the people of God. And uh, inclusive, of course, of the whole family of David. And she brought forth a man-child who, uh, uh, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness 
where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand, two hundred, and threescore days. <clears throat> and there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. He is cast out. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused him before our God day and night. And of course, in the Lord's own language, now is my soul troubled, he said in John 12. And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, but this cause came out to this hour. Amen. Wrong, wrong quotation. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up to the earth, will draw all men unto me. Men is italicized in the King James, which means it's not in the original. He's talking about all the Father gave him throughout the nations. And so it's because Satan was cast out by the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, of course, we know he is still active. Not able, though, to snatch a single one eternally from Christ, whom he redeemed with his blood. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. In the book of Revelation, the heaven dwellers are the regenerate, those who have life in Christ. Those who, as according to Ephesians 2.6, are now raised up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. That's speaking of the unregenerate. This is a spiritual book. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. <clears throat> and then, uh, particularly our text. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished, for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth, what's the earth represent? unregenerate, natural only. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> really, you have in the 12th chapter, the book of Revelation, 
the mystery of all history. The mystery of all history. This woman in her place in the wilderness of the world, she, the redeemed and regenerate church of the Lord Jesus Christ, she is the object of God's purpose. She is the object of that which he decreed before the foundation of the world. Her place is such a secure place that historians, philosophers, and sociologists alike have no knowledge of her real nature. And her importance and her destiny. And yet all history has moved on her behalf. All history. And the <clears throat> omnipotence and the secret providence of God has her for the object of his central purpose. Kings and tyrants, false doctrines and false science have tried to ban her and her truth from the face of the earth. Yet she lives. She lives. She continues. She marches on to her appointed destiny. And that destiny is to be glorified with the Lord Jesus Christ with him forever. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. That they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. I can't begin to comprehend. I've glanced at that glory in the gospel in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God. But what it will be to be in the full blaze of the glory of Christ, I can't comprehend. But he wants us there who are his. He wants us to be with him. And it's going to take place. <clears throat> the world and all that's in the world, opposed to God and his Christ and his righteousness, is going to perish forever but she abides the ages and she will abide forever. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. As in Ephesians 3 verse 21, we see her divine protection and provision in the passage to which we look here in Revelation chapter 12. We find this protection of this mystic woman, the church, in verses 13 and 14. <clears throat> and when the dragon saw that he was cast under the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Of course, again, we learn to interpret Scripture dependent upon God by His Spirit to teach us with very sound principles that are herein. How certain figures are used not only in one prophecy but throughout prophetic Scripture. And how a context brings into bear what is there and so forth. Very important things that we learn, of course, in our <clears throat> interpreting, if you please, and our dependence upon the Lord to make known to us his word. So we have in these verses 
the persecution that comes from what we could call the frustrated dragon. And the casting out of Satan, as we read about already, and as we learned when we studied last time in Revelation 20, the casting out of Satan does not mean the cessation, the stopping of his satanic activity. Far from it. It even increases sometimes. Satan was cast out of the dominion that he, before the cross, exercised through deception to the whole world. Paul called it, when he preached in Athens, the times of this ignorance. The blinded minds of the whole world. The truth of God deposited to one small, tiny nation in Palestine. And <clears throat> deception worldwide. Until after the cross and the command came, go ye into all the world. And so <clears throat> this dominion was broken by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the work of his cross. As he said in John 12, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. All by the cross. Securing the infallible accomplishments and the purpose of the gospel itself. And in the dragon, Satan, that old serpent, in Satan's failure to, dis, to devour the man-child, Christ, he turns his fury in great frustration against the woman, the church. That's why we're warned in Scripture, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith. By saying, when the dragon saw, is like saying, it happened very fast. It happened before he even realized it, that he was cast out of his dominion over the nations. The dominion he usurped from Adam and through Adam's sin took that dominion. But now another, a last Adam has come, perfectly obedient all the way to the cross. And he takes that dominion back. That was usurped by the first Adam. And he can no longer do what he did. But he is loose in the sense of coming against the church. And that would be, of course, for her good. It's, it's as if he didn't realize it. Boom, and he saw it. He's cast out. He's cast down. He has the one weapon he could bring in accusation against the people of God taken from him by the cross. Their sins are put away. You remember the Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, I think it's verse 18, I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Quick. It took place. 
And as the king, the true king of Babylon, the world mystical city, he fell so fast as to be cut down before he knew it. Even the prophets prophesied of this. Isaiah prophesied of it in the 14th chapter of his prophecy. How art thou cut down from heaven? He exalted his throne, he thought, above the throne of God. He wanted the worship and the dominion that belonged to God. But he's brought down quick. How art thou cut down? So much for Satan's power. Because he has no power in comparison to that of God. He has nothing but what God would grant and allow to him. In Psalm 62, 11, God hath spoken once, Twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. All true power is of him. And Satan has no power. There is one power in this universe. That is the sovereign God whose will shall be done without fail. History, of course, though, unfolds the ways in which the cast-out dragon has persecuted the church, the woman. At first, he sought by the hands of the Jews to destroy her and her witness for Christ during the 40 years between the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ to heaven and the destruction of Jerusalem. For that 40-year period, his main attack came from the Jews. Then, then it came from the Roman government under the Caesars, and uh, they became the great instruments of persecution against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there was even a more subtle way that he turned his fury, endeavoring to destroy her and her gospel. After Constantine the Great, he turned to a far more subtle method, that of raising a rival kingdom, a rival kingdom dressed in the garb and taking the name of the church. Returning to tradition, ceremonialism, and visible altars to replace the true spiritual worship of God. That's been called his masterpiece. Another, even more subtle form is taking place and has taken place that we're affected by and should resist and overcome. We'll deal with that in conclusion. The woman is given flight into her place in verse 14 of Revelation 12. And the woman, uh, to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place, where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. She has the wings of a great eagle. I want to turn you there. 
But you'll find places in the Old Testament, as in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 4, or in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verses 9 through 12. And write them down if you like. In Scripture, the wings of an eagle speak of divine protection. As God says to Israel, he took him out of Egypt on the wings of an eagle. It speaks of divine protection in Scripture. God is in the midst of her. He is her protection. He is her only protection. <laughs> and he's all the protection she shall need. We don't look to the government to protect us. We don't look to denominationalism to protect us. We look to him who said, I will do what? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is that never perish protection with the comfort of divine promise and the infallible decree of divine predestination. She is assured to be brought to the conclusive purpose of God. She's going to be brought, as in Revelation 19, as that bride of Christ. Brought to him with a glorious marriage of God and man consummated forever. She flies into her place. Her place in the wilderness. Which signifies this is where she resides. Where is the place of the regenerate church of the Lord Jesus Christ? It's with Christ in heaven. He's the head. We're the body. And so, this place is not accessible to the adversary. He's cast out of heaven. But in regeneration, all who are in Christ are seated with him. He's the head. We're the body. In heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in Ephesians 2, verse 6. Now, I know this is, this is a little bit spiritual. Well, it is actually more than that. This is necessary to be taken in with some measure of maturity. But learn as much as we can. It's a place that's only realized by faith, through faith, and thus, though every uh, even Though even the body may be assaulted and destroyed, which it will be and was, and many of the saints' bodies were destroyed, but they weren't. They were still protected. They were but promoted, if you please. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives unto death. As we're taught in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. That they were may be put to death in the body, but they were never moved from their place. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The mystic time period. <clears throat> Three and a half years. You read in the book of Revelation conspicuously Seven churches, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven vials, over and over. Correct? 
The number seven is conspicuous. It means completion, perfection. On the seventh day, he rested. Since then, it has become that number of perfection. God is going to complete his purpose. That number seven signifies he does so. And the things that are brought to pass to it. What is half of seven? Hello? I know we've got a couple of mathematicians at least. What's half of seven? What? Three and a half. <laughs> and so it's very important that our literalist friends want to make us literally three and a half years. They have this problem of always drawing out of these obvious spiritual places literalness. Not literal. It has a spiritual significance in Scripture. So that this mystic time is half of the perfect number, seven, and signifies that all time prior to God's completion, still the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the regenerate two true people of God, are preserved all the way to his coming. All the way until he comes. And though the serpent cannot cut off her spiritual nurture, he can cause her to seek more of it. There's a failed effort of the serpent. And the flood significantly out of his mouth in verses 15 and 16. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So since the woman is hidden in the wilderness, the images of the flooding of the wilderness, of course, in our passage, in order <clears throat> to move the woman from her place. A flood, then, we need to understand what that means in prophetic scripture, right? We're not talking about something literal. We're not talking about a literal dragon out of his mouth he spews forth a flood into the wilderness and floods the whole thing. Obviously, that would be an absurd thing. We're in the realm of the spirit, not the literal in the book of Revelation. So that a flood, we must find out what this means in prophetic scripture. Not looking at something in the world and trying to make that apply, but what is taught? What do the prophets teach? What are, what are those things in the prophets? What did they teach you about a flood? In prophetic language, this speaks of the arising of massive forms of persecution or opposition to the people of God. Now, let's see if we can find the passages. How do you like to do that? How about in Isaiah chapter 8? <clears throat> in Isaiah chapter 8. If you can't find them quick enough, write them down if you like. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verses 7 and 8. Now, there, now therefore... Behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria. 
and all his glory, and he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. So we have the flood here, recognized in this sense as Syria, but the massive opposition that comes against the people of God. Look in uh, Jeremiah. <clears throat> Jeremiah, uh, 46th chapter. And uh, find out what this flood means in prophetic scripture. This is to speak according to this word, by the way. <clears throat> in uh, Jeremiah chapter 46 and verses 7 and 8. Who is this that cometh up as a flood, whose waters are moved as the rivers? Egypt riseth up like a flood. And his waters are moved like the rivers. Again, this was to destroy. This was opposition to the people of God. See uh, chapter 47 of, of Jeremiah <clears throat> and verse 2. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, waters rise up out of the north and shall be an overflowing flood and shall overflow the land and all that is there in the city and them that dwell therein then the men shall cry, and all the inhabitants of the land shall howl. Of course, this speaking of the opposition, not literal floodwaters that came against them. So that you have this prophetic teaching that a flood can speak of massive forms of persecution that come against the people of God. The old divine observed the hostile overflowing of the church the beginning of which gave rise to this book, that is, Revelation, namely, the Roman persecution. That was involved in the great flood that came out of the mouth of the dragon. There is a flood of persecution that the Lord will bring against his church in time. We may see that again in our time indeed. Then there's the flood of false doctrine, the more subtle form. It comes out of his mouth significantly. And uh, so that uh, there's much deception that comes out of the mouth of the adversary. That's where he attempts to distort, pervert, twist the gospel, as we stated this morning. Very subtly doing so. Oh, everybody looks Christian, nice, kind. Oh, they're fine people and they're in. No, they don't. If they don't have the gospel, they're very deceptive. Are preachers that have the finest personality and they're drawing and oh what a nice person they are yet they can be clothed in sheep clothing while a wolf and very few it seems in our day have the capacity to see beyond and to stand firm on what is true there can be this flood of false doctrine comes out of the mouth of the serpent doctrines of devils indeed but then the earth helps the woman the, the, remember the earth speaks of what natural unregenerate those who dwell in heaven the regenerate those who are seated with Christ those who belong to him 
consistent in New Testament doctrine and teaching. So, how does the woman help? How does the earth help the woman? Quite unintentionally. Not meaning to do so. Very unintentionally. And this unintentional help that the earth gives to the woman is yet in the secret providence of God. Whenever the persecutors of the Lord's church are swallowed up, as it were, with oppositions of its own, the church is helped. I remember studying the prophecy of Zechariah in the Old Testament and in the book of Zechariah you have God using a method to keep the world from the people of God how does that happen he gives it so many of its own problems that it's taken up with so many of its own problems that it doesn't have time to go against the church or the woman and that's that I studied in the book of Zechariah. I'm not going to give you the quote. If you press me, I'll find it and give it to you. But, but uh, it's there, and it's in the book of Revelation as well. Christ rules over all things, including war, famine, pestilence, in the interest of his church. There's an incredible verse of Scripture in Ephesians, uh, I think it's chapter 1. And it speaks of Christ being the head of the church over all things. And that means that he rules everything in the interest of his church. That's amazing, isn't it? Everything. In the interest of his church. All that happens in this world, he's ruling it in the interest of his church. And that, of course, we learn in Ephesians. He rules over everything. He's able to give the world enough problems of its own. Oh, we turn around and look at all this political stuff. Well, guess who's in control? Guess who's sovereign? Guess who lets all these bickerings and things and divisions and everything else that we complain about come about? He does it. And as long as the world is taken up, consumed with his own problems, they didn't have enough time to go against the church. But you let that wane. I mean, there are groups that want to go against the church. They do everything they can to move the government against her. But yet the government has so many of its own problems. He's able to give the world enough of its own problems to divert its attention. If the world did not have its own massive problems that swallowed up its time and its energy, it would unite in opposition against the people of God. It would unite against the people of God. It's endeavoring to do that now, may accomplish that, but if so, it will be in the purpose of God. Because the enmity is very real between the children of God and the children of the wicked one. And there will come continuing warfare against this remnant of the woman. The flood. 
massive false doctrine we know comes from the dragon out of his mouth but who swallows it the unregenerate the unregenerate gulp it down because they do not have the capacity to know the true from the false truth from error and so they'll swallow it down and uh, very easily and in this way protect because the true people of God this we shall see in our study in 1st John have an inward capacity that is not in anyone else but the regenerate and we shall see that <clears throat> but the warfare continues against the remnant of the woman in verse 17 and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ so the anger of the dragon has not been abated He's not less angry with us than with those who had to go into the Roman Colosseum and face the lions. He's no angrier with them than he is with us. The devil is just as angry against us as he was against the early church. What we may call modern tactics he uses now very subtly but he's just as angry the remnant of her seed the woman is the church in the historical completeness the remnant is her portion of her at any time on this earth that includes us even now being the seed of the woman of which Eve was the prototype the prophetic prototype of the church shows that the enmity of the serpent is just as much against those who are in Christ as against the Lord himself you remember the first prophecy God spoke it to the serpent in the wilderness I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head take that power and dominion away it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel, his lower nature. By the cross, obviously. And Paul could write to the Romans and say in Romans 16, 20, that God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. So that that warfare is against the church all the way to the end. This remnant that are made known by their character. They're keepers of the word of God and confessors of Jesus Christ. It's they who are the objects of the adversity of the Satan, of Satan, and so it is now to this very day. So though like uh, we, like our former brethren, will be assaulted with various forms of persecution, Yet there's a different kind of trial of faith that ages past didn't have. There's a different kind of flood that comes in our days. My dear friend, I think, got it right, Charles Alexander, when he wrote, Now an invisible 
and far more dangerous power threatens to overwhelm all of us. And we're not referring to Russia. And we could add China. Which on account of its geography can neither successfully attack nor be attacked. Of course, this was a long time ago when I wrote this. We are referring to the flood of scientific and religious error which has substituted the mind of man for the fact of God. With the inevitable rise of the tide of open immorality and disgusting social sin which would have made even the inhabitants of Sodom to blush. See, we never had to face exactly what we're facing now. But it's inevitable because God is replaced in the thoughts of men by their own mind. They can make up their own morality. That's what's happening. That's what's taking place. It's a very solemn time in which we're living. That, and of course we've had the false theory of evolution that's been around for a long time that wants to replace God as creator. Say the creation created itself, banish him from his own creation, and put the mind of man in control. You see, if you don't have the living God and his word that guides and is firm, you have man substituting his own mind apart from God. That's where we are. That's called rationalism. And even in theological seminaries, that's what's now controlling so-called Protestant churches even. And it's a solemn thing. And so it's a very serious matter. So I hope you've gotten some very important things this afternoon from this 12th chapter of the book of Revelation.